Today's episode of The Shift We Shay is recorded on Gadigal land. We acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional custodians of the land, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Our next speaker is a professional officer here at the Association. Catherine of Amphi is responsible for coordinating education and ensuring nurses and midwives have the right knowledge to work safely in their contexts of practice. Catherine is a registered nurse and a clinical nurse educator. She's worked and educated in a wide variety of clinical settings such as intensive care, neurology, gastroenterology and hospital, whole of hospital. Catherine is passionate about the nursing and midwifery professions. Her goal is to deliver education on topics of interest and to allow easily accessible education for all nurses and midwives. Please welcome Catherine. Hello everyone, and thank you for coming to our awesome day that um, we've put on. It's wonderful to see the room uh, nice and packed. Make sure you look at the education calendar if you want to come back to see more education or see my lovely face again. So <clears throat> it's great to be here. So what I'm going to cover today is building healthy workplaces. And as Gia uh, lovely, did a lovely introduction for myself, as I said, my name is Catherine and I'm a professional officer here at the association. I'm a registered nurse and have worked as Gia said, in a lot of different settings. I'm going to talk about building a healthy workplace, how you can individually build yourself a little bit and have some tools to cope with the working environment, and also share some stories about my workplace and my workplaces along the way. So the next slide is some pictures of myself in workplaces and I had to find my favourite ones. There are a lot to go through because I love taking I love taking photos in the workplace with all the nurses um, there. And so, all my favourite pictures that I had featured my colleagues. I love looking at them. I love looking at the smiles that we had. Some of them are um, after some celebrations um, that we've all come together to celebrate afterwards. So I want to share one particular story and I've educated in uh, different areas. Intensive care was one of them. Um, I decided to go into educating in the intensive care unit in January 2020. Um, yeah, it wasn't... Who would have known, right? Who would have known that that was... a uh, an awesome time to go back into the intensive care unit. Do I have any intensive care nurses here? Yep, yep. If you look back on January 2020, awesome time. Actually, probably March was more of an awesome time, and I'm being a bit sarcastic for those of you that don't work in intensive care. <clears throat> so I've worked in some difficult workplaces, training up to 150 nurses to look after ventilator patients, not the easiest thing to do, um, looking through lists of nurses throughout the hospital that in the last 10 years have looked after a ventilated patient, not the easiest thing to do, having to have those conversations with those nurses. You know, I know you haven't looked after a ventilated patient or been in the intensive care for a while now, we might have to call upon you. Not the easiest thing to do. 
So that's one particular area that I worked in. But what I'm going to focus on is my work in a neurology ward. Has, do I have any neurology nurses here? They're all looking after patients on the ward. That's why they're not here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so for those of you that haven't or haven't gone into a neurology ward, I'm just going to give you a little bit of an overview. So it's a strange place, the neurology ward. It's an interesting mix of patients. So we've got people that require significant rehabilitation with strokes and traumatic injuries that they have. We've got patients that have dementia, you know, Possibly their families can't look after them anymore. They've become too hard to manage at home. And then we've also got some patients that have degenerative diseases that can't look after themselves anymore. If we think about one particular common neurological disease, Parkinson's disease. So I've got patients in that workplace that need significant amount of help to just get out of bed. So those types well, that type of workplace can put significant strain on the nurses involved. And it can make for a very highly stressful environment, as I'm sure a lot of you can attest to working in various areas. <clears throat> and I talk about the neurology ward because this was my very first experience as a clinical nurse educator. I thought, when I was 16 years old, I was a karate instructor, I'm going to follow this pathway of education. So I wanted to, and I dedicated my career to working up to become an educator. And I decided to apply for a job um, in an infectious diseases ward, that then a week before I started, turned into a neurology ward. And then as you know, with the health system, other things got added on. So I wasn't just an educator of neurology, I became the educator of gastroenterology. I also became the educator of mixed medicine at the same time in my first education role. So I talked a little bit about the neurology side of things, but let's add some gastroenterology, heavy bleeds every now and then. We've also got a bit of chemotherapy chucked into the mix. So that was the workplace that I was dealing with. And so the reason I'm telling you this is so you can get a bit of a background of what the workplace was like and the stresses that these uh, nurses within the workplace felt because they had come from different areas in the hospital and suddenly um, their specialty was maybe neurology, some of them were specialists in gastroenterology and now they're learning to give chemotherapy, learning to do peritoneal dialysis and all these other tasks that are expected of a ward. So <clears throat> it was a it was an interesting environment that we, that we worked through. And I'm going to go through some of the tips that we incorporated into this workplace. As a collective, we met as a team, decided what we wanted for our workplace. And when I finished up in this ward, um, we were voted the best team in the hospital. We had the highest retention rate of new graduates. And if you can imagine uh, the heavy environment of this particular ward, having the highest retention of new graduates into their second years, a, a massive feat there. We also were one of the few wards in the hospital that had bulk um, booked shifts from the casual pools because it was an inclusive environment. So in saying that, I want to also talk about 
it's not your responsibility. Okay, I talk about improving the workplace. There is an obligation for your employers to provide you with a safe environment. There are obligations of your employer to give you a safe working, a, a safe working uh, environment and somewhere where you can feel um, happy to come to work. <clears throat> but this might not always be the case. And for the rest of my presentation, I'm gonna go through some tips what you can individually incorporate in your own practice and how you can focus um, on yourself to be the best you in that workplace that you might be experiencing. So these are the learning topics that we're going to cover today. We're gonna to cover what's a healthy workplace, what factors make a healthy workplace, just some tips um, that you can bring into your workplace. We're going to reconnect with our purpose. That's not an easy fix in the next 30 minutes, um, but we're going to work through a little bit. And importantly, because we're here and we're reaching the 31st of Mar uh, May, we're going to look at documenting our CPD because we all need to do that at the end of the day. So I'm going to ask you to uh, use some loud voices. We don't need the mics. Does anyone know or have any ideas what a healthy workplace is? If you want to raise your hand, does anyone want to contribute to what a health? Yeah. Yep, so being supported by your peers. Does anyone else, that's a great point. Does anyone else have anything to add? <laughs> enough staff, yes. So that can build a healthy workplace so we're not feeling overworked, we're not having that role overload. Yep, anything else? Feeling safe, being in a safe environment, that can also contribute to a healthy workplace. So the next slide shows what who um, thinks a healthy workplace is. So a healthy workplace is one where workers and managers collaborate to continually improve the health, safety and well-being of workers and by doing this, sustain productivity of the business. So that's what WHO says a healthy workplace is, okay? There are many factors that contribute to a healthy workplace, and we're going to talk about those now. We talked about some staffing, you know, safety. There's some things that can contribute with a safe, uh, a safe workplace and a healthy workplace. But what I want to talk about in a little bit more depth is that obligation of your employer, okay? So some obligations from the employer include committed leadership that supports an investment in a healthy workplace, involvement and engagement of workers in policy and procedures designed to ensure safety and well-being. Okay? That's something, something to think about. So if there are changes that are happening in your workplace, are your employers, are your employers collaborating with you with these changes, okay? Think about that next time uh, someone asks you to do something in your workplace, think about that. Are we collaborating? <clears throat> Identif uh, identification and implementation of tailored programs to address specific needs and priority areas to improve safety and well-being. Are your employees providing you with the education and support that you need and that is required for you to do your job? because if they are, that's creating a safe workplace. If they're not, there's a bit of a gap there. There needs to also be a focus on workers' physical, mental health, safety and wellbeing. And we talked about that in that point. Some other things that need to be incorporated in a safe workplace is a culture of care. So that your employees, employers, sorry, care when you come into the workplace that you're feeling safe 
and that there's a strong focus where people feel cared about um, for beyond just getting the job done. Okay. Appropriate work design that's facilitated role clarity. That's important, knowing why you're coming to work, what the expectations of you are when you're at work. That's really important for us to feel, um, you know, that wholesome, that wholesome feeling when we come to work. We know what's expected of us. And something else is that flexible working arrangement to retain and recruit staff, staff in the workplace. So if there are changes that need to be made, there's an obligation for your employer to make these changes, okay? So why? You know, everyone's got that feeling, everyone wants to come to a safe working environment, but why is this important for employers to, to do? South Australia um, did, did some looks at, at unhealthy workplaces and it found that there are four, more, uh, four times more likely to lose talented workers if they are in unhealthy working environments. Seven times more costly in workers' uh, compensation claims. And we've seen a rise in that in our own profession over the last few years. Nine times more likely to take sick days per year. I know if you're not feeling you know, happy in a workplace, you don't want to come to work. You can see it in some working environments. And it saw 6.4 billion productivity losses in Australia per year due to obesity alone. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. If we have a healthy workplace, you can see the benefits, you know. We're three times more likely to be productive, 50%, less likely to have injuries, five times more engaged in the workforce, and we have a bit of a return on investment of um, six, uh, three to six for every $1 spent if we have a healthy working environment. So what are the things that might cause those unhealthy working environments? Things are psychosocial issues that might come about. And my lovely work health and safety colleagues have a whole um, presentation education day, if anyone wants to come and look at that later in the year, that deals with this. But we're going to look at it in a bit more of a superficial lens. So what's the meaning of a psychosocial hazards? They arise from or relate to designs or managements at work or workplace interactions behaviours. And that can lead to some psychosocial hazards. So in the next, uh, while I'm still talking, think back to your own workplaces. Are there possible psychosocial issues or psychosocial hazards that might be in your workplace? Okay. Are there psychosocial risks? So a psychosocial risk is a risk to health or safety of a worker or a person arising from a psychosocial hazard. So if we have a psychosocial hazard, we're moving then into something that's a psychosocial risk. So think about your workplaces, okay? Think if this is happening. And these are some examples of some psychosocial hazards. Many of these things are still considered um, industrial um, issues, um, despite the fact that there's extensive evidence that exposures cause hazards within the workplace. So we can have a look at this, and this includes that role overload, you know, exposure to the traumatic events. As nurses and midwives, we are exposed to a lot of trauma that happens in the workplace. We see the community at its most vulnerable, okay? That causes trauma for us as well. There's that role conflict, um, you know, 
I'm currently a nurse unit manager, but I'm working on the floor, having to look after patients, that can happen, okay? There's um, that low job control. And we talked about control in our finances. If we don't have that control in our workplace, it can lead to those feelings as well. <clears throat> Some relationships between co-workers and supervisors. You know, that poor support can happen. Workplace violence, bullying, and the list goes on to other things that can lead to psychosocial hazards. But how can we raise these issues in the workplace? So it's the employee's responsibility to manage these psychosocial risks under the Work Health and Safety Legislation 2017 and create a safe work environment for you. So we need to identify the risks in our workplace, raise those concerns with your manager and complete incidents reports. I know that we are time poor. And the last thing you want to do after looking after your 50 patients on your shift is come and do an incident report, but we need to be collecting that data to show that there is a problem within our workplaces. Raise concerns with your branch. This is where we as an association can help, okay? And if you're identifying these psychosocial hazards, these psychosocial risks in your workplace, contact the association so we can give you some assistance. Now, you'll have to excuse me, those intensive care nurses might understand, I like pathophysiology, and so we're going to talk a little bit about some pathophysiology when it comes to stress. So it's an essential aspect of survival for us. Stress, you know, lions running after you because you've speared a wildebeest on the plains, you know, it's part, part and parcel of that. Okay, unfortunately, we react to stress a bit differently in our current working environments, our current lives. We don't have a lion chasing us, trying to, trying to hunt us down, but we still have that innate pathophysiological response to that stress. So what does that mean? I've broken it down into a couple different sections. So if we have a look at our nervous system, We've got our parasympathetic nervous system and we've got our sympathetic nervous system. It causes that increase in noradrenaline and adrenaline that happens. And it causes that constriction of our vessels. It causes an increase in our heart rate. I know if I'm stressed, my heart pumps a bit harder. I know a couple of minutes ago, it was doing that then. Um, we have an increase in our respiratory rate. We're working harder to meet those demands on our metabolic system. We've got increased glucose being pumped to our liver. Our liver and our pancreas are struggling a little bit with that excess glucose that's coming from us being stressed. We've got increased pupil diameter so we can see that line on the, work, uh, on the planes to make sure it's not going to hunt us. And we also have that decrease in gastrointestinal um, activity that can lead to some gastrointestinal upsets. So there's some things that the neurological system will do to try and manage stress. <clears throat> then our endocrine system. And I love our endocrine system. It's a little bit slower than other systems in our body, but it has some interesting factors. But when it comes to stress, our hypothalamus is activated and it causes those hormones to be released um, to primarily deal with some pain and the um, production of cortisol. And cortisol can be good, but it can be bad in times of stress. It decreases our immune function. It causes fatigue. We can get hypertension, atherosclerosis, 
obesity and it leads to diabetes as well. And gosh, Kat, like the first half of this talk is really negative, but I'm going to talk about some positive things in a minute. So there's some things that can happen when we're stressed. And lastly, our immune system. With the cortisol, it suppresses our immune system because we don't want to think about getting sick. We want to run away from that stressor that's, co that's caused in our lives. So it lowers the amount of lymphocytes, our immune cells that are released in our body, that leads us to a greater risk of infection and general illness. So if anyone can reflect on times that they've been sick, I know for myself, it's when I've been a little bit run down. I've been a little bit stressed and that's when that cold or flu can just come in and knock me off my feet. In the addition, I'm already a bit stressed. Now I'm having to you know, catch up on multiple things because I've had to take a couple of days off to recover from that. So that's some things that can, that can happen. So what can we do to counteract all these pathophysiological responses because our body is, is coping with that stress? We can look at oxytocin. I talked about the endocrine system. Oxytocin is awesome. So this is the counteraction for that cortisol that, we get re that gets released when we get stressed. It can be stimulated through various things, okay? So it can be stimulated through touch, warm temperatures, um, olfactory, so smelling things that we like, and social interactions. And you'd think, oh, that's interesting. Those social interactions can, you know, you always feel, sometimes you feel good after those social interactions. It's actually oxytocin working in our bodies. It can cause that reduction in our blood pressure. It can cause those reduced levels of cortisol, um, increase our pain threshold. And if we think about it, um, there are a lot of females in the room. There's a big boost of oxytocin um, when we are giving birth. That's something that happens in our body to deal with the pain of what, what, is, or what you're about to cope with. Um, it also does stress regulation and it promotes growth and healing. So as we move through today's presentations, we've got some talks coming up on ways that we can um, benefit or induce that oxytocin release, but some ways that might help in your lives are through yoga, that's a way um, it found that in 15 patients in a one-month study saw an improvement in their um, emotional functioning after doing yoga. Listening to music can also be good and it um, found that in open heart surgery patients, listening to music while they were recovering um, made them feel more relaxed and less stressed than other patients. A good one is um, getting a massage. So if you think about touch, getting a massage can stimulate that oxytocin. So I'm telling you all now after this to go get a massage. Interestingly, giving a massage can also, I'm not too keen on that one, but that can also lead to some oxytocin stimulation as well. Spending time with friends and cooking food can help with the release. So I talked about some negative aspects and we all know it will take time for our workplaces to um, incorporate some of those changes, but these are some things that you can do to assist with your well-being when it comes to your workplace. We talked about that oxytocin, but establishing effective communication can be very important as well. We want to aim for clarity. So if you work in jobs where you're texting, um, emailing, think about the clarity and the mode of communication that you're using to ensure that there's no miscommunication. I know that in my time I've miscommunicated uh, 
I've read something a certain way and it wasn't meant to be sent that way. So think about how you want to communicate. Is what you're saying more effective to be done in person or is it more effective to um, do it through text message? Think about that form of communication. And think about workplace interactions that you might have, such as receiving feedback. So you want to think about that in establishing that effective communication. And there's a point that I, um, or a story that I like to think, of, think about when I look at communication within the workplace. Has anyone heard of the um, three filter test? Has anyone, no, no one's up with it? Yep, 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 awesome. Yeah, awesome. So for those of you that want um, a little bit of uh, philosophy, there's a, there's a Greek philosopher called Socrates. Has everyone heard of Socrates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had some really great ideas. And one of these ideas that you can incorporate in your workplace is a three filter test. So <clears throat> one of his acquaintances came up to Socrates and said, do you know what I just heard about um, Dio Genes, and I'm going to call him Dio because I'm not really great at pronouncing Greek names. So before Socrates let the person talk, he said, wait a moment. Before you tell me, I'd like to do a little bit of a test on what you're saying. It's called the triple filter test. So before you talk to me about what's going on with Dio, I want you to see if it passes the first thing. Is it true? Okay. Have you made sure that what you're about to tell me is absolutely true? So that's something you can incorporate when you're listening to what's going on with your colleagues. Is it true? And the person that was talking to Socrates said, actually, no, I don't know if it's true. I just heard about it. Okay, so that's, you know, you could still pass the test. We've got two other things to come through. Okay. So Socrates said, so if you don't know if it's true or not, now let's try the second filter. It's the filter of goodness. Is what you're telling me something good? So that's your second test. And the person that was telling Socrates the story said, actually, I don't know if it's true. And actually, what I'm about to tell you is something bad. Okay. So... All right, so Socrates was thinking, so we've kind of failed the first two. You can still come, you know, the third, we've got a third test here. And your last question, Socrates asked, is the filter of usefulness, okay? Is what you're about to tell me about Dio going to be useful for me? And the person said, not really, actually. It's not useful for any particular reason. I just want to tell you something. And so Socrates said, well, if what you're going to tell me is neither true nor good nor useful, then why should you tell me at all? And so that's something simple that you might incorporate into your workplaces to establish that effective communication and think about what's going on. So the next point that I'm going to talk about is offering your support to colleagues and showing your appreciation. It can be something simple, you know, if you think about the first time you worked in a workplace, how useful is it when that nurse or midwife comes up to you and says, do you, wanna, do you want me to show you around? You know, that's really helpful. I did a shift three weeks ago in that neurology ward because I still work clinically as well. And I hadn't been around uh, in the neurology ward for a little while. And an enrolled nurse came up to me and said, hi, 
would you like me to show you around? And do you want me to show you where the shift planner is? And I said, I think I'm okay. You'll actually know that my name's on that shift planner because I created it a couple of years ago. But, you know, it was really helpful. And thank you so much for introducing me to this workplace. Those little interactions are so helpful there. Ask, you know, people in your workplace if they want your advice, if you think that that would be helpful as well. Be kind, honest, listen and use collaboration when you're talking to people in the workplace. We can also promote inclusivity. We're in a wonderful place in society now where we have lots of connections within the community. So being inclusive in the workplace can help colleagues feel comfortable expressing themselves, listen and feel validated as well. And it's important to embrace diverse viewpoints. We can also work together to set clear and feasible goals, okay? So something simple that can happen in, or you can use in your workplace is stopping at least once a shift to check how another staff member's wellbeing might be. So there's some goals that you can set with yourself within the workplace. Then importantly, implementing those work and personal boundaries. Don't neglect that time for yourself. I know it becomes easy to take those overtime shifts, but it's important that you also focus on yourselves. And that's why you've all attended today, because you really want to focus upon your own well-being. Give yourself permission to turn down invitations sometimes or commitments that might impact on your leisure time. There, interestingly, um, there is a bill um, that's coming up. It's called the Right to Disconnect. Um, so this has uh, been proposed by the Fair Work Act where it will prevent employers from contacting employees outside of work hours. That also includes um, the provision for employees not to be required to monitor or read or respond to workplace communication from their employer outside work hours. That's a, um, a bill that's getting passed as well. So set those clear personal boundaries. And as you've all come here today, make that effort for wellness. So surveys show that um, people that are uh, willing to participate in wellness programs in their, their organisations um, might benefit from those and feel that sense of well-being as well. You can have a look in your workplaces. Do they offer discounted gym memberships? You can think about your budget and finances if they do. Um, reconnect with that. And so we're going to talk through the rest of the day on some of these tips, including proper sleep, eating um, and having a balanced diet, exposure to sunlight. That might seem really simple. You might not get a lovely tan like myself, but this is um, natural. Um, how we cope and deal with stress, thinking about that oxytocin release. Easier said than done, I've struggled, but that exercise that we can do daily, whether that's a, work, uh, a walk or taking that pause to focus on yourself and getting a little bit active. And being social, because we want to promote that oxytocin release and make efforts for our own well-being. We can also look at practising new hobbies. You know, I like um, painting little figurines. That's something that I've incorporated in the last three years because I just get to switch off as well. And importantly, learn to live in the present. We don't want to think about what's happened possibly in the past and, and look at that. We want to focus on ourselves now and be with ourselves in this moment. We want to think about that. So what I'm going to cover now is our reconnecting with purpose. 
And so this is a transformative journey that pro provides profound, um, meaningful um, and meaningful um, information and fulfilment about our lives. We want to think about why we came to the nursing midwifery profession. You know, I know that I come from a long line of nurses and I love looking after people. I feel that fulfilment when I'm actually servicing and helping other people. It allows us to reconnect with our uh, core values, and I don't mean New South Wales health core values, your own internal core values and what you're thinking. We want to think about passions and aspirations when we reconnect with our purpose. It will help us align with our actions and our deepest beliefs if we're looking at reconnecting with purpose. And it also lets us instill the thoughts that we're reconnecting with something that has greater purpose than ourselves. Okay. So, some benefits. <clears throat> I want you to think back to a time where you felt fully engaged with work, okay? What were you doing at the time? Were you, I know for me, developing a new skill, you know, learning a new competency? Think about yourself in your workplace. What are your strengths? What do you bring to the workplace? What skills do you want to develop as well? Imagine yourself in a few years' time, where possible, where do, you, where do you see yourself and what do you think or what do you want your life to look like? We want to be more purpose-focused rather than problem-focused. It's motivating to reconnect with our purpose. We want to stop sweating the small stuff. And it adds value to your life. And we want to be proactive rather than passive and build our own lives and reconnect with our purpose. So I'm just going to ask, I know we're um, running out of time a little bit, but if everyone feels comfortable to, close your eyes because we're going to do a bit of reflection on your own purpose. So close your eyes. If you don't feel comfortable, that's totally fine. You don't have to. I'm going to ask you some questions and just take some time in your mind to think about it. So what am I most happy about in my life? Let's think about that. What are you the most happy about with your life? What am I the most excited about in my life? What am I most proud of in my life? What am I most grateful for about my life right now? What am I enjoying most in my life right now? And lastly, when we think of our careers, what lives have I touched throughout my careers? And what is positive of that? So I can all open our eyes now. Hopefully you feel just a tiny bit. Uh, maybe you've got some oxytocin going around, but that's getting stimulated now. Using reflection is an easy way to reconnect with our purpose and think about how you want to channel your life in reconnecting with what's positive in your careers. Some simple things that you can do is something that I do every day, um, is a journal. You know, lot, there's lots of things available online, so you can buy a gratitude journal, but you don't need that. You can just have a notebook. Think about what you're grateful for today. What have I learnt from today? That allows you to reflect on what's happened through the day. Okay. And what actions are you going to take based on it? 
right? So if you had an interaction that you weren't happy with, what are you going to do about that tomorrow to make sure you have a positive experience moving forward? It doesn't matter if you go off course a little bit, you can always come back and connect with what um, your living purpose is. So that's a couple of tips that you can take away. I will just quickly go through some resources here that are available for you. <clears throat> so the first is Healthy Workplaces Strategies. Um, that's strategies that give some recommendations on how um, you can further take action to create a productive and safe work environment. We have um, the Black Dog Institute as well that talks about those safe environments and safe workplace environments. Safe Work New South Wales provides advice to workplaces, including that psychosocial hazards that might be present, and also gives you some further recommendations around managing the risks in the workplace. We've got um, the Government of South Australia has a workplace audit tool um, that can be used to identify some strategies in your workplace and set some wellbeing goals. The Heart Foundation um, has a little uh, tips and tricks on how to move around. Um, and planning your ex to plan your exercise as well and encourage you to reduce the risk of those, um, you know, effects such as high blood pressure, heart disease and diabetes. And the last one is the Guide to Promoting Healthy and uh, Health and Wellbeing in Workplaces and that aims to build capacity for workplaces to develop and implement programs to promote sustained health um, lifestyle changes for employees. So they're just some tips um, some resources that you can use there. Uh, work health and safety team are amazing and they have uh, done some great resources that you can use here as well. And they're available free on the website. It's a good place to check and give us a call if you need any advice on it. If you identify those psychosocial hazards, call us, we'll see how we can assist you in that space as well. And because we are reaching the 31st of May, uh, CPD, how do we record it in our CPD journals? Has everyone, is everyone up to date? Everyone, no? Do I have it? Not one hand up? Yep, it's got some nods there. So what we have to do is record the seminar name, the time that you um, did the learning, so it is active learning. If you've heard everything that I've said before and it's nothing new and you didn't get anything out of it, you can't claim any hours. But if you thought it was great, then you can claim hours for that as well. Um, you can use your certificate that will be emailed to you to um, give evidence for the course. We did some reflection with our eyes closed, but it also is great for your CPD. So think about what you learned and how you implement these learnings over the course of the day into your practice moving forward. This is what the certificate will look like when you receive it. Um, so you can see my lovely orange boxes. We pop our CPD hours down. It is individual to you. So what I have as active learning is gonna be different from another individual. So it's what you own, uh, what you think is your active learning. Make sure we go through our um, reflection log, which is important. Um, have a look at the NMBA standards as well. And um, that's how you'd fill out the certificate. And I think we're coming up to, or we're at lunchtime. Um, if you want to see my beautiful face again, have a look on my education calendar and you can see what type of education that we've got. And just because I wanted to, here's some pictures of uh, me in various parts of my workplaces. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you.
We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's continuing professional education program. Did you know the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association has a new online CPD portal? With over 200 free online CPD courses across a wide range of nursing and midwifery topics, plus the ability to track your learning, it's definitely worth checking out. If you're a New South Wales NMA member, just log in to the member portal, Member Central, to access this program. And if you're not yet a member, make sure you join today. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. If you've got a story you'd like to share with us, let us know by emailing us at theshiftpodcast at nswnma.asn.au.